Welcome to the Direct Examination Podcast. I'm Amber Fulmer. And I'm Joseph Bias. Amber, good to see you. How are you? You too. I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> Just finished putting the baby down. So let's hope she sleeps. Well, you're you're super mom, obviously, and super co-host. It's great to have you. Uh, Dane is the one that ran into a work emergency today, so we will see him on the next episode. But we promise you every week nothing but illustrious, illustrious guests. guests. We have a another illustrious guest today, Amber. Let's let's hear about her. Perfect. Our guest today is Sue Berkowitz. She's the director of the South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice Center. Sue graduated from the University of South Carolina with a Bachelor of Science in History in 1980. She received her Juris Doctorate degree from the Western New England University School of Law in 1983. After graduation, Sue was a staff attorney with Palmetto Legal Services from 1983 to 1986. In September of 1989, Sue joined the South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice Center. Appleseed Legal Justice started as a subsidiary of the South Carolina Legal Services, and it became its own entity in 1996 when Congress cut funding and placed restrictions on the type of work that the organization could do, and the organization split from Legal Services Corporation. In 1998, it began an affiliation with the Appleseed Foundation and officially became the South Carolina Appleseed Legal Justice Center. Appleseed Legal Justice provides advocacy for the low-income community, and the goal of the organization is to influence policymakers to ensure that the law is fair, educate the public and their advocates about the law, and to assist attorneys in bringing systematic litigation where the law is unfair. So welcome, Sue Berkowitz, to Direct Examination. Thank you for having me. Sue, thanks again for joining us. So we heard Amber talk about Appleseed uh, Legal, or excuse me, Appleseed Legal Justice Center. Tell us in your words kind of what the organization does and like give us examples of what uh, your group does in the community all, all across the state. Sure. Our organization, we're, we're a nonprofit law firm, which probably most people go, how can you be a law firm and be nonprofit? But we, we work on behalf of low-income South Carolinians, and our purpose is to make sure they have representation, just like anyone else would have it, as far as we're up at the State House, we do advocacy, i.e. lobbying on behalf of issues that impact the low-income community. We work a lot with state agencies that uh, influence and, and, and have services for the low-income community, like Department of Social Services or the Department of Employment and Workforce, the Medicaid agency. And when I say we work with them, we, we look at ourselves almost as a watchdog to make sure that the services that they should be providing are to, to the community are being provided and that they're following the laws that they're required to work under. And then we also do litigation. And unlike a legal aid office, which does one-on-one legal assistance, we look at issues that are system- that are changing systems that have an impact. So an example of that would be we um, have a class action on behalf of all the foster kids in the state of South Carolina against the Department of Social Services because we found that kids were getting put into the system and they were just... Um, not getting the services that they needed, their constitutional rights were being violated, they weren't even getting things like basic health care that they were required to get. And so here they were being traumatized and taken from their homes and then put into 
a system and getting lost. So we brought that about five years ago and, and have them under a set, have DSS under a settlement agreement. We have a, a litigation against the Department of Employment and Workforce. That's their unemployment insurance agency. And we brought that years ago because of things that they were doing in violation of not following their own statutes in the APA. And we also do a lot of work in the Medicaid space, and because that is the main health insurance for low-income folk. During COVID, we have brought uh, litigation against the Spartanburg uh, jail because of the conditions at the jail and their absolute disregard for health, welfare, and being of people who are in the Spartanburg jail. So as you can tell, we do lots of really, really popular work in the state of South Carolina. <laughs> but we do it because these are these are these are the communities that don't have other folks that can come in and represent them because lawyers do need to make a living. And we can't, you know, we can't ask lawyers to take on large cases like that on their own and expect to be able to, to, to take that kind of time, which it does take to do litigation like that and, and uh, be able to, to afford to do it. And we also have the expertise in those areas and up at the state house. Um, we've been a lobbying presence up there since the mid eighties. My predecessor got the landlord tenant act passed uh, the, the, first criminal uh, domestic violence laws were lobbied by my predecessor. We've done work in the areas of predatory lending and high cost home ownership and, and increasing the eligibility for the children's health insurance program, getting funding for legal aid. So we, we are working on issues that if we were not up there, there would probably not be a lobbyist for them. And so we're really, really proud of a lot of the laws that we've been able to get passed and also recognize that uh, if we were not up there, a lot of laws would get passed if we didn't uh, stand in the way. So you've been with App SC Appleseed for quite a long time and you started out in Palmetto Legal Services. What drove you towards that area of law? Well, when I started at Palmetto Legal Services, I was doing the one-on-one -on -one legal assistance for people who would come into the office. And as much, and I love, I love working with my clients. I love working with the community and having that direct contact. But the one thing that I found really frustrating is that people would come in with the same problems over and over and over again. So for example, people who were going hungry would come in and they weren't getting their SNAP benefits or what was then called food stamps. I'm old enough right. to when, mm -hmm. when they used to be called food stamps. And so, you know, we needed to, you know, we would be fighting the same fight over and over and over again. I do a lot of consumer protection work and I would have people come into my office who would be in serial loans and, you know, just paying money for years and years and years on interest rates that were 80, 90, 100%, which those were the good old days. It's a whole lot worse now. And as much as I loved working with them, I felt like when I was... you said that both, sorry, when you said that both <laughs> Amber and I, so that's got real big. like, what? <laughs> yeah, no, I know. It's hard. We could talk about that a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. but, but what was so frustrating is that I felt like I was putting a Band-Aid on everybody's problem. And sometimes mm -hmm. it would be the same person who would come back with a new loan because uh, the problems with the laws. And I really began to think 
if I was going to really make the difference that I wanted to do in social justice work and in, in, in uh, public interest law, I wanted to be able to attack the, the, the actual laws that were causing the problems. Um, when I first started at Legal Services, the legal aid programs were allowed to do a lot more systemic litigation. They were allowed to do lobbying. In my first case, when I started back in the early 80s, um, a, a client came into the office and I was the new kid on the block. So they gave me this case. My client's stereo had been taken in what was called a distress action, which was allowed before the landlord-tenant laws. There were no protections. And basically it said, if you owed your landlord money, the landlord could take the property out of your home. The magistrate could just sell it and they could use that to pay your rent. And my client came in because her brother had been evicted and they took her stereo that she had lent him mm -hmm. and they were going to sell it. And she showed up at the magistrate's office with her contract and said, wait, this is mine. You can't sell it. And he said, buy it at the sale. So they dumped the new case on the new kid and I, you know, new, new uh, enthusiastic lawyer. And I, I knew that there was something absolutely wrong. Like there was a, constitutional due process issue and I went to the to the director of litigation we talked about it and he said yeah we got to we got to sue the state we got to sue the magistrate and so um, we did we went to federal court this was one of my first cases right after I got licensed because you know back then I didn't I was not smart enough to know you don't bring your first case bringing a constitutional challenge sure. in federal court against the state of South Carolina to get a law declared unconstitutional. But we got to do that. And those are the kind of things that, you know, we, legal services was still very much allowed to do before they tried to put real restrictions on them. And so, you know, I got to do cases like that, but I spent more of my time putting band-aids on the problems and I knew that with people especially with consumer finance cases they were coming in one after the other after the other and I wanted to do something that could stop the the, the bleeding for the community so you get to the root of the issue essentially yes absolutely absolutely one of the things that's kind of fascinating as you're talking about all this. So as a director, you kind of can see across South Carolina and see all of these issues. I'm curious, what goes into what you all decide to pick up? What What do you decide to do? Yeah, I, I know it has to be difficult saying, okay, we're gonna devote time and resources to hunger initiatives, but maybe not this week to X or something like that. I was just curious about your mindset. It's, it's hard. I, I always used to joke that, um, you know, I was one of these women who could never say no because I wanted to say yes to everything that people came to us because there really weren't other groups that could take it on. And, um, you know, and often people will come up to me and go, you know what you need to be working on? And my, my comment back to them is, you know what we all need to be working on? And that's really how we look at it. We try to hear from the community what's important. We try to heat, not try, we do. We listen to the community to hear what's important. We know that hunger is so prevalent in our state. I mean, I can rattle off tons of data and, 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 and statistics for you, but the bottom line is we know one out of every four kids is at risk of going hungry each night and about 20% of all adults. And this was pre-pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we know that there are programs out there that can help people as much as I do think it's wonderful that we have food pantries and food banks. There are other programs out there that can really help people like the SNAP 
you know, formerly food stamp program, like the WIC program. But we also know that not everybody gets it. Who Not everybody who is entitled to it is getting the benefits that they should be getting. And we also know that the agency <clears throat> has struggles as, as, you know, the Department of Social Services has struggles and we can help them by understanding policy. We can help them administer the policies properly, we can go to them with the problems that clients are hearing, and we can help them solve those problems. And the, but the bottom line is, if all else fails, as lawyers, we have that one last tool in our tool belt. We can always sue them. Yeah, always. <laughs> My former boss, Jake Moore, said, never be afraid to pull the trigger. File the lawsuit. That's, that's <laughs> right. Just do and- it. <laughs> And that's, and that's where I think, you know, for us, there are other groups that do advocacy, but because we're lawyers, we, we have that one last piece that we can do. You know, we've always got that sort of Damocles hanging over their heads to say, all right, fine, we'll go yep. ahead and we'll, and we'll sue you then. Mm-hmm. And um, we have one attorney on staff who is only our litigation attorney. He doesn't do the policy work, although every once in a while we drag him in to help us with understanding some of the housing policy because he, he did come out of legal aid as a, as a housing expert. But it's really wonderful that we can look at these cases and develop them and um, try to work with private attorneys as well because, it you know, bringing a class action lawsuits a lot of work mm-hmm. and for one attorney to try to manage one let alone manage a couple of them is 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 an awful lot of work and so we partner with other nonprofits and we also partner with private law firms and we're really lucky because i think that for the work that we do it's why most people want to go to law school because they go because they do want to help people they do want to make a difference and we always offer that opportunity to lawyers when they when they partner with us that's great you mentioned sue that pre-pandemic about one in four children are hungry every night and then we've got about 20 percent of the adults and again that was pre-covid so what are you seeing are there more emphasis on certain issues in the clientele that you serve after COVID has hit? Are you seeing a massive cry for a need in one area? And were y'all able to get any type of federal stimulus money to assist in serving these groups? Well, we have seen a lot of increases. And I will say, we don't take, fed, we normally don't take federal or state dollars because that's often how you get your hands tied because mm-hmm. of, of that works. But we were eligible for the, um, the Paycheck Protection Plan, and we did borrow okay. from that. And hopefully we're going to get most of that forgiven so that while everything was ramping up, we knew we could hold on to everyone. Mm-hmm. I will say that there have been funding sources since then, uh, some foundations that have reached out to us and have been very generous because they saw the work that we were doing. I mean, we went into rapid rapid fire mode. First thing we we did is we wanted to figure out what kind of information should we be getting to people and how do we get it to them. And we have a a piece on our site, our our website, when people click on to www.sejustice.org, a pop-up will come up uh, for COVID information. People can click on that and we have it all organized so that if you need 
information on unemployment, if you need insurance, if you need information on housing, if you need information on food security. And the other thing that I'm really, really proud of is it is completely um, translated into Spanish as well because we do have a growing Latinx community and we wanted to make sure that they had as much information as possible and we worked very hard to and continue to do that because that's one of our teams is our immigration team Mm -hmm. and i i will say that um the work has absolutely it's done two things one it has amplified so many of the problems that we already knew were existing in south carolina which we have severe poverty um we don't have enough affordable housing. We don't have, you know, we don't have Medicaid expansion. So we, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of people without health care. Uh, we, we have terrible infrastructure. Many, many people are working for low wages and have not been able to build assets or, or uh, accumulate any wealth. So as soon as they lost their jobs, they were, you know, they were already in a deficit. And I think the biggest problems that we're looking at right now, um, one of our team members, uh, Bridget Owens, did a yeoman's job to make sure that uh, the school feeding sites, the information was out, that our this, the Department of Social Services applied and got uh, approval for pandemic EBT so that those kids who are not in school and were getting fed at school, their parents were getting additional money so that they could buy more food at home. And all kids that are on free or reduced lunch were getting we're getting pandemic EBT as well as kids who all kids who are in schools that were what we call community eligibility program, meaning all the kids got free or reduced lunch Uh, with unemployment insurance. We started hearing from people immediately. Our department of of employment and workforce was totally, and and to their defense. So was every unemployment office in the country was totally unprepared for what was going on. And uh, but people who are hurting, people who lost their jobs, had no money, had no food, they couldn't wait days while sitting on a phone waiting for someone to pick up a phone to help them figure out how to process their application. We started hearing from lots and lots of people. We um, reached out to some elected officials about the problems we were seeing. They got uh, somebody assigned, they got me assigned to somebody at Department of Employment and Workforce. So I was able to start feeding cases to them so that people weren't having to sit on the phone. Now, you know, as the word must have gotten out. I, I joked and said my name was definitely written on a wall somewhere because we started getting lots of emails, lots of calls, and we were just sending those cases up like crazy. Um, but, you know, these are, these are folk who had nothing and they were going to lose their home. They were going to lose, you know, their, their, you know, their utilities eventually were going to be cut off. Um, and they were hurting and, even though the bureaucracy, you know, had its problems from not being necessarily up to speed with what they needed technologically, they really needed to be more mindful and have grace for the people who were hurting and calling in. And that was, I felt, our most important role to make sure that, one, people understood uh, they understood what people were going through 
and people have an avenue to have their problems heard. We did training for, for attorneys for them to understand the, the UI system. We did trainings also for people to understand landlord-tenant law. And, you know, we want to make sure that people have an avenue to get help. So I'm curious, to do all of the things that you just mentioned, you obviously need a great team of people. What makes a good Appleseed attorney when you're hiring people? When you look, Because like you said, we all go to law school wanting to do good for something. And then a lot of folks, they kind of deviate someplace or maybe right. they chase a check someplace. I'm sure. curious what you look at as a, um, as a hiring or someone doing hiring. What do you look for in an attorney and what makes a good Appleseed attorney? Well, first I realized that you need someone who has some practical experience in the subject area. We're very lucky that the way we do our work, although we look at the community holistically, we're able to specialize in areas that uh, will help the particular communities. Like we have an immigration team, we have a hunger team, we have um, consumer protection, healthcare. And so, you know, it's good for somebody to have that practical background of either being at a legal aid office or if somebody's going into the criminal justice area to have that the criminal justice background because it gives the practical experience. But I also, when talking with someone and interviewing and figuring out who the right person is. I want to make sure they have their fi the fire in their belly for the community that we're serving. Because I feel that when people come to us, they deserve 100% or I should say 150% because they've been um, turned away so many places and not always getting the care the concern or the respect that they deserve. And that is something that is very, very important to me that we do at South Carolina Appleseed. And um, there's always lots of righteous indignation going on in our office about things that happen to people out in the community. And, and um, I, I look for that because I want people to, 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 to be concerned and, get upset when they see people being wronged. Um, you know, clearly somebody who has a good ability to do analytical work and policy advocacy and to be able to look at the big picture too. Because if you get, you know, and, and I think it's important, both, both are important for the community to ha have the ability to access. South Carolina Legal Services, that one-on-one -on -one assistance is critical because when someone's being evicted, they need a lawyer who's going to be able to represent them. Right. If, somebody, if somebody is being abused, they need a lawyer who's going to represent them. But I look to, to the folks that we bring on to have the vision to be able to see the bigger picture because we have to be able to look at the systems, be able to do an analysis, be quick on our feet, and also realize there's going to be a lot of people really, really pissed off at us at times because, you know, it's not that the state, people who work in the state are bad people, but our job is to make sure they do things that are right. And we're sorry they don't have enough money to do how they would like to do it, but that's not our fault. Right. Our, our job is to make sure people get the services that they deserve. 
Mm-hmm. And, and as a matter of fact, right now, we, we're, we received funding from uh, an anonymous foundation so that we can bring on two more staff people. We just made a hire to bring on somebody to do uh, budget and tax analysis and policy Ooh. analysis for us because I wish, well, it's not, this is a non-lawyer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Even for lawyers, taxes, you I mean, say taxes and we're like, but the one thing I've always realized, especially when you're doing work up at the state house is just because something's the right thing to do doesn't mean they're going to do it up there. Mm-hmm. And you have to be able to show them fiscally why it makes sense yeah. and how it's going to be better for not just the people up for the state. So I'm really excited because I, I think that's going to be a huge addition to our, our uh, advocacy and our, our work up at the state house. And then we also um, are going to be bringing on an education policy attorney as well. Mm. Because if you don't do education, po- I mean, we have to help folk mm. in the kids in the community. I mean, I'm glad to see that our legislature is interested in teachers and, and helping them and for them to be able to stay and keep their jobs. But we also need to make sure that the school systems are doing right by our kids. Mm-hmm. And too many kids get pushed out. Too many kids don't get the services that they're legally entitled to. And we're going to spend some time um, on a state level doing that work again and I'm very excited so we're going to start advertising for that in the the next week or two and and I'm really excited to bring that person on board as well so if you know anybody who's interested let me know okay hey we got the listeners who are hearing this and now you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) you get the exclusive (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right you'll see it just go to our website we've got it posted but we haven't done anything about putting it out there very far so i'm very excited so you know if you got fire in your belly and you and you want to make change um you want to help folk send us your resume awesome you heard it listeners You mentioned y'all do a lot of legislative advocacy, lobbying over at the state house. Mm-hmm. Do y'all ever um, find yourself submitting any, any amicus briefs on any issues that may go up before the courts? We on have the or supreme level. Yes, we have, and, and in fact, we'll, we've done that for uh, you know for folks that have cases that we think are important. We know that if we can add something, you know, during the Abbeville case, we were constantly fighting <laughs> amicus briefs. Um, we have. Uh, We've got one that's going in that we filed on a housing issue that's pending right now. We've actually been amicus on a couple of cases that have gone up to the U.S. Supreme Court. No, not ourselves writing it, but have been represented and our interests have been represented. In fact, one was a case that um, got overturned the South Carolina Supreme Court that had to do with your right to counsel with child support cases, Turner v. Rogers. And uh, because not that we don't think people should be paying their child support, but as lawyers, we do think that, you know, the ability to, to pay has to be looked at and people should have representation before they're thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. So we are, we're really, we're really happy to step up and, and, and participate in by presenting that and we felt like coming from South Carolina filing that amicus brief was was important so we we would love you know if if lawyers and we get contacted by attorneys all the time if you think it's something that you you know having a public interest voice in that would be helpful reach out to us and we can do an analysis and figure out if we've got something that we can add to it and if 
we can, you know, bring our, you know, if it's something that fits within the issues that, that we are working on. Absolutely. I feel like with COVID and all the issues that we're seeing on the back end, we might see a very big floodgate opening of litigation on how this is going to go. Yeah. 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 No, I I mean, I think there's going to be employment issues, um, questions about how some of the state systems, we already saw the the case of first impression in the, in the Supreme court Mm -hmm. with uh, uh, the governor trying to take money for education and, Give it yep. out for private scholarships. I'm sure there'll be more opportunities like that. Yep. And, uh, you know, we don't know how long this is all going to go on. And, and I am concerned, especially for frontline workers, because at some point, employers are going to want people to come back to work, whether it's safe or not. And I mm-hmm. think there's probably going to be a lot of those issues that are going to be coming up where mm-hmm. people are going to be asked uh, to put themselves in situations and um, our state has a tendency to not be supportive as they always, as I think they should be of employees. And so I would not be surprised if some of those issues start to bubble up. I could see that. We don't do a very good job sometimes of protecting the doctors and the people that are touching it. <laughs> no. So, no. In that. Yeah. Yes. We like to end all of our episodes with uh, your favorite war story. So this can be a, you know, a case or a situation that's either funny or poignant, something you'd tell at a bar or run a glass of wine with some friends. You know, essentially, it's the thing that uh, comes up that, you know, either makes you giggle, makes you laugh, or makes you appreciate what you do. We've had mild ones we've had you know emotional ones so Sue Berkowitz yeah. South Carolina okay. well, I, I think because I want to inspire people to go into public interest I won't talk about the slap suit that a finance company filed against me hmm. that was dismissed and they had to pay they had to pay the attorney's fees for the for for the firm that helped us avoid that but yes. um, I remember uh, years and years ago when I was at legal aid I I Uh, did bankruptcy. And that was before bankruptcy became such a specialty. My first bankruptcy was a chapter 11 trying to save someone's farm. Like I said, I was too stupid to know that you probably shouldn't do that. Never taken debt or credit classes in my life. I thought I was going to be a public defender when I was in law school. (laughs) I did prisoner rights work in law school. And so I ended up at legal aid. So I bring this, this chapter 11 lawsuit and um, I, I, I think a lot of folk know George Cawthon, who um, does a lot of pro bono work and amazing. He was like the father of the South Carolina Bar pro bono program. And at the time, he was the, the clerk of the bankruptcy court. That's how I first met him. And we were doing a, a, our hearing in front of uh, Judge Bratton Davis, a kind, kind man, somebody who would never lose his, his temper. And um, I was I, I had brought the case and I had actually found a way to do a a swap of the property so my client could stay in her home. She was elderly. Her son had kind of mortgaged her to the hilt and she just wanted to die in her home Mm -hmm. and we wanted to make that happen. And so this property that was the contiguous said, oh, you know, the owner said, you know what, we'll let that happen. We'll, we, we'll, we worked it out so she could stay in the home. 
And we were going over everything and Judge Davis kept asking me about the income tax, the income tax, and had I worked it out with the IRS. And I didn't know what he was talking about. I mean, I had looked at everything. I'd read the code. And, and George Coffin, who's really just been a dear friend of mine ever since then, this is going back, you know, over 30 years, he said, Judge Davis, I don't think Ms. Berkowitz realizes that there had been a misprint in the code and that, in fact, there is a reason, there is a requirement that she had to go to the IRS, but it was somehow it was, I don't know, there was a misprint. And I'm like, all I could think of, you think we can have an earthquake right now and the ground can open and I can fall through? I mean, it was just, you know, I thought, I just got licensed and I'm going to lose my license for malpractice within five minutes. And, and Judge Davis, the look of frustration left his face and he said, I'll give you all a 15 minute break. And George explained to me what was going on. And, and we got it all worked out, went back and saved my client their home and anything George Cawthon ever wanted for me after that. I was yeah. always willing to help. <laughs> so, um, but, sure. but yeah, but it was, it was, you know, I, I, I think now as we scare young attorneys to death, you know, that sense of, just jumping in and doing whatever it is you have to do, whether it's bringing a federal case to challenge a, a, the constitutionality of a statute or bringing a Chapter 11 to save a farm when you don't even know how to file a bankruptcy. You know, those, those were um, really, really special times for me, but also made me, you know, I, real, I did it because my clients had nowhere else to turn and, and we wanted to give them everything any client that went to any firm was going to get. And um, we still, we still feel that way. And um, I feel really lucky and blessed every day that I get to do the work that I do. I, I wanted to do social justice work when I graduated law school. And I, I, I realize I'm very lucky that I've been able to make that work. And so if, folks are looking for just fun litigation to do some opportunities to jump into some some interesting work or just feel like you know they want a, a little bit of something other than the usual grind reach out to us you know we'll remind you why we're all lawyers and the love of the law and uh anytime we can be of help to anybody i you know, and, and I say that for my team, too, because all of them, all the lawyers that work with me, I mean, I, I get a lot of the credit and they they do all the hard work. And, and I can tell you they are amazing. And I'm so proud of every single one to call them my colleague. Well, look, if you want more information on the Appleseed Legal Justice Center, you can go to their website, scjustice.org. You can follow them on Twitter at Appleseed SC, you know, read about what they're doing uh, in the community, see what they're doing for the state of South Carolina, our low income citizens. And if you're a lawyer, you know, like she said, reach out, help out, uh, because they obviously are on the front lines of doing a lot of important work and uh, can use all the help they can get. So, Sue, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank, thank you, you for asking me. I really appreciate all you're doing and um, good luck during all these times. And, uh, Stay healthy. Thank you. You too. Okay. So if you want more information about the podcast, you can obviously follow us at SC Law Pod on Twitter and Facebook. You can follow Dane, who's busy doing criminal work right now for his clients, at yep. SC 
prim lawyer. You can follow Amber, who just got finished doing, you know, amazing family law work for her clients at Judicata. And you can follow (laughs) me, who gets off at five o'clock on my government job. So I'm not doing anything for my clients this evening. But you can follow me at Joseph P. Bias on Twitter. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Thank you for all your support. And uh, if you ever have any feedback for us, you can email us at directexaminationpodcast at gmail.com. If you're listening to us, go on iTunes, go on Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Give us a five-star review. Say nice things about it. We're lawyers. We vain. We read our own press clippings. We aren't afraid to pander. (laughs) We are not afraid to pander. So if you give us a shout-out on a five-star review, we will give you and your firm a shout-out on this podcast. Yeah, we will. (laughs) Identify yourself. That's right, right. Let us know who you are. Amber, so good to see you. And uh, we will uh, see all of you or hear. Y'all will hear us. We won't see you. Uh, we'll, y'all will hear us next week on the Direct Examination Podcast. Yeah.